How many of you have a friend? Okay, so we have about half of you have a friend. That's great. I'm going to be praying for y'all. I didn't ask for many. I didn't say friends. I just said, do you have a friend? Uh, You know, friends are unique. They have the most influence over us, except maybe for our family. Friends are few and far between. You have lots of acquaintances. You have a lot of people you know. But a friend is unique. And friends should encourage you. They should stand with you. Thick and thin, disagreement or agreement, they're still your friend. You may have arguments, but they're still your friend. And the story we're going to look at today, we're going through the Old Testament, the kings of Israel, and we're, of course, we did uh, Saul and David, the first two kings. But today we're jumping a bit and we're looking at the life of King Jehoshaphat. And it's an interesting story. And, you know, one of the interesting things is his friendships. He made several strategic mistakes when it came to friends. And if you can imagine, he did a lot of good things. Hey, it tells us that he made lots of good choices. One of the greatest kings. But he also made tragic mistakes concerning friends. One of his friends was King Ahab. One of the most wicked kings... Remember Ahab, he's the guy that married or was married to Jezebel. Everybody have heard of Jezebel. Well, Ahab was his her husband. And Jehoshaphat, it tells us in First Chronicles, he was a friend of Ahab because of marriage. And what's interesting is the way it's phrased is that Jehoshaphat had his son to marry the daughter of Jezebel. Can you imagine having your son married to the daughter of Jezebel? Her name was Athaliah. And she became, believe it or not, even more wicked than Jezebel. And as I looked at the life of Jehoshaphat, trying to see his life and saying, Lord, what do, what do you want to say to us? And, and the very first thing that came out to me was friendships. You know, you need to be careful who your friends are. Your friends will influence you. And it's interesting because they were joined by marriage, had a friendship, and it's interesting that Ahab decided he would use that. And that's what you have to be careful of. Sometimes friends will use their friendship to their own advantage. Look, if you would, in Second Chronicles chapter 18, verse 1 and 2. Look how Ahab used that friendship to his advantage. Jehoshaphat enjoyed great riches, high esteem, made an alliance with Ahab 
of Israel by having his, his son marry Ahab's daughter. A few years later, he went to Samaria to visit Ahab, who prepared a great banquet for him and his officials. They butchered great numbers of sheep, goats, and cattle for the feast. Then Ahab enticed Jehoshaphat to join forces with him to recover Ramoth Gilead. Now, you have to understand at this point, Israel is divided, northern kingdom, southern kingdom. So Jehoshaphat was king over Judah, the southern kingdom. Ahab was king over the northern kingdom, Israel. And Ramoth Gilead was really only advantageous for Ahab. But do you notice how he made this big feast? Butchered all these cows, had a good feed, and used that opportunity after he made a big feast and he enticed, he enticed Jehoshaphat to join with him. And I want to ask you to be careful because the enemy is always looking to entice you. The word enticed means to convince you to do something that really you don't need to do. And the enemy is always looking to entice you. And Ahab, he was a wicked guy. His wife Jezebel was wicked. At this point, she's already dead. She's been killed. But Ahab continues to be a wicked king. And he wants Ramoth Gilead, and so he entices Jehoshaphat to join with him. And Jehoshaphat says, sure, my army's your army. What a guy. What a stupid guy. And here's the height of his naivety. He, he was either naive or just clueless. I'm not sure which. Because this is what Ahab does. Ahab has already stirred the pot. And Ramoth Gilead is already angry at Ahab. And so right before they go into battle, Ahab comes up to Jehoshaphat and says, Listen, I've got a great idea. I'm going to go dressed as a regular soldier and you go dressed in your your regular kingly robes. Now right there should have been a signal that something was not right. Either he felt like he couldn't get out of it because he had given his word. For some reason, he he goes along with it. You know, if your friends are drinking and they've been out for a while and they're drunk and they get in the car and one of them is drunk and they say, come on, let's go home. And they want you to ride with them. It might be a little embarrassing to say, I'm not riding with you. But I want to tell you, it's better to be embarrassed than dead. And at some point, you have to be wise enough to make a stand when you recognize something's not right. Jehoshaphat should have right there said, you know, 
Ahab, I'm not sure why you want to go disguised as a regular soldier and you don't, don't want to look like the king, but I don't want any part of this. He should have pulled his armies out and left. But God had already spoken. If you read the whole story in Second Chronicles 18 and 19, you read the whole story, I'm going to kind of summarize it. What happened was that Micaiah, who was a prophet, uh, had prophesied that Ahab was going to die in battle. So he's already got a little anxiousness, you know. The prophet of the Lord that he didn't like had prophesied, you're going to lose and you're going to die. And one of the prophets came up and slapped Micaiah and said, how dare you speak that kind of word? And Micaiah said, well, if the king comes back, then I lied. But if he doesn't come back, then it was the word of the Lord. And so Ahab's already a little nervous. And in the middle of the battle, all the soldiers from Ramoth-Gilead had been told to kill the king of Israel, Ahab. And, of course, he's in soldier's garb, so they, they can't recognize him. So they start chasing Jehoshaphat, and they almost close in on him. But then Jehoshaphat calls out and says, I'm Jehoshaphat. And they realize he's the wrong king. And so they break off the chase. They can't figure out where Ahab is. And it says this. I love this. Second Chronicles 18, verse 33 and 34. Watch this. He says, An Armenian soldier, however, randomly shot an arrow at the Israelite troops and hit the king of Israel between the joints in his armor. You think that was random or what? I don't think so. Turn the horses and get me out of here. Ahab groaned to the driver of the chariot. I'm badly wounded. The battle raged all that day, and the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot facing the Armenians. In the evening, just as the sun was setting, he died. And it doesn't say it in Chronicles, the full story. But if you go back to Kings and read the same story, it tells you that he made it all the way back to the place where the prostitutes washed And he died there, and his blood was on the ground, and the dogs came and licked up the blood. And it says, as the word of the Lord of Elisha, because that's what had been prophesied, would happen to Ahab almost 30 years earlier. God brought his word to pass. It wasn't a random arrow. God had determined through the prophet and an earlier prophet 30 years earlier that is exactly what was going to happen to King Ahab. And it happened. There's nothing random about it. And so what it tells me is, you know, even when we make stupid choices with friends, God can still protect us. Anybody in here ever gotten yourself into a crazy situation and God protected you anyway? And you made maybe some bad decisions. Anybody in here made bad decisions? Let me see your hand. Come on. Okay. Almost everybody, you've made bad decisions. Well, even when you make a bad decision, if your heart is right with God, God will protect you. And he protected King Jehoshaphat. It's amazing. And so what we want to do is we want to look at the life of King Jehoshaphat and glean some things. And one thing I noticed about his life was that he's always in battle. 
He, he's in one, he was faced four or five major battles. Both, you read about him in, in the book of First Kings, you read about him in Second Chronicles. He faces a lot of big battles. And one particular battle, I believe God put elements to that battle that speak to us today, that God wants to speak to you today about you facing battles because all of us are facing a battle of some kind or another. The enemy comes up against us and we're at a battle place. And I believe God wants to speak to you this morning about the things that we can learn from his life and we can put that application. The very first thing I see here, and that is when facing a battle, you must, our trust must be in God. Look at Second Chronicles 20, verse 1 through 4. It says, After this, the armies of the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Muonites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They are already at Hazion Tamar. This is another name for En Gedi. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news, and he begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. He was a man who knew that he had to have God's help. He had this vast army, huge army that was greater than his army. Most of the estimates were that he was outnumbered six to one. And armies. And it was just kind of like a, an innumerable army that he couldn't even count. And he was in a tough place. And I don't know about you, I probably would have done what he did. And that is get afraid, terrified, cry out to God, call a fast, and ask for everybody. We need to seek God. And look at another passage In chapter 19, verse 1, 2, and 3, it's kind of interesting. It says, when King Jehoshaphat of Judah arrived safely home in Jerusalem, this is right after Ahab had been killed. Jehu, the son of Hananiah, the seer, went out to meet him. Why should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? He's referring to Ahab. He asked the king, because of what you have done, the Lord's very angry with you. Even so, there's some good in you. For you have removed the Asherah poles throughout the land and you have committed yourself to seeking God. You see, that's the quality that God loved about him. He was committed to seeking God. He knew that he needed God's help. Yes, he made a mistake helping Ahab. But he also loved God. Yes, you have mistakes in your life, but God loves you and he calls you to be committed to him. Another powerful verse, I love this. It's, it's in Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 10 through 12. Look what it, it's what they do. And now see what the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir are doing. You would not let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left his, his Egypt. So they went around them and did not destroy them. Now see how they reward us. This is Jehoshaphat talking to God in a prayer. For they have come to throw us out of your land, which you gave us as an inheritance. Look, I love verse 12. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are 
powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. How many of you have ever been at that place? I don't know what I'm going to do, but my eyes are on you. Maybe you're facing a financial situation today and you would say, I don't know what in the world I'm going to do, but my eyes are on you, Lord. I don't know what I'm going to do. My children have walked away from God and I don't know what I'm going to do, but my eyes are upon you, O Lord. I need a job and I can't seem to find a job, but Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do, but my eyes are upon you. You have to come to that place in your life. Where you would say, God, I trust in you. You know, sometimes it takes an overwhelming army to bring you to that point to where your trust is in God. I encourage you, don't wait until you face an overwhelming army before you decide, I'm going to trust in God. While it's a small thing. Decide, I'm going to trust in God. In the little things and in the big things. I encourage you. This is a a lesson we can learn from Jehoshaphat. I don't know what I'm going to do. Have you been there? Maybe you're facing a situation with your family. Maybe you're facing a situation in your marriage. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know how I'm going to get myself out of this situation. But that is the point to where you say, my eyes are on you, Lord. It is a recognition. And I want to tell you, that acknowledgement, I don't know what I'm going to do. That's not just words. That is a spiritual, emotional position that you put yourself in where you acknowledge that you cannot figure this out. It is not your strength and your power and your ability that's going to get you out of the situation. You say, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I do know who I'm going to look to. I do know where my help comes from. I don't know exactly how you're going to work this out, but Lord, I need you. And the second thing I see here, and this is just a whole chapter. This whole chapter 20 is amazing. But the second thing I see in that is when facing a battle, remember the battle is the Lord's. Because that's what the prophet Jehaziel, as they're seeking God, a prophet of the Lord named Jehaziel stands up and begins to prophesy. And look what he says in verse 15. He says this. He says, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat, This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged by this mighty army. For the battle is not yours, but it's God's. Oh, I like it. Thank God it's not our battle. It is the Lord's battle. If you are facing a battle today, it is not your battle. It is the Lord's battle. You see, we fight not against flesh and blood. The things that are going on in America today, we have a tendency to look at this in the flesh. But the Word of God tells us we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against people, against powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places.
that seek to divide us. We've got to get our eyes off of people and get them on God. He is the one that has the victory over the enemy. And it's just like the enemy's getting the demons and getting us, trying to get us all fighting against one another. And the whole time the enemy just sits up there and laughs, thinking, ah, yeah, I got them. They're fighting one another. And the Spirit of the Lord wants to say to you, the battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. Our place is to recognize that it's his battle. Now, there are two key elements to recognizing that the Lord has to be the one to fight the battle. The first thing, and that is, you have to stop thinking we can fight the battle ourselves. You know, we, we, it's amazing how we'll commit a situation to the Lord. And then as soon as we commit it to the Lord, we start working on how we're going to figure it out. <laughs> we give it to God and say, oh, God, I need your help. And we haven't even said amen before we're already figured out how we're going to make this thing happen. We're already manipulating, thinking, working, talking. Uh, how am I going to make this thing happen? And at some point, you have to back off and take your hands off. Now, when I say take your hands off, you may stop trying to work in the natural realm to make things happen, but you will continue to bombard heaven in prayer. You stop working in the natural trying to make things happen. But now you bombard heaven in spiritual warfare, coming against the enemy, pleading for Almighty God to hear your prayer. You pray more, but you stop trying to get in there because here's what happened. If you fight the battle, God waits until you stop fighting the battle. I've often said, he'll fight your battle or he'll hold your coat but he won't do the same thing at the same time. You understand, hold my coat at the same time? You've got to say, Lord, it's your battle. I'm going to let you fight this. And God says, are you sure? Yes, Lord. Hands off. God says, good. You stay there. Let me fight. And the second element, and this is the hard part, and that is we have to become comfortable not being in control. Is there anybody in here that likes to kind of be in control of the situation? Let me see all these type A people. Yeah, you, you know what I'm talking about. Well, to me, this is, I relate this through us going to Houston. We drive through Houston. A few times I have been tired and I'm going to let my wife drive through Houston. <sighs> and I, I am more tired and more worn out and my wife is frazzled on the other side of Houston than I would have been if I'd just driven myself. Because the whole time 
I'm stomping on the driver, the the the, uh, the passenger side. I'm stomping on the brake. I, I'm holding on. I'm pulling, and I, and I'm doing everything I can not to say, "Honey, what's that car on the left? What's that car on the left? Honey, you need, you need to stay in your lane. Don't pull over. Don't pull over in your lane. Stay stay right there. You know, I, that's what I want to say. But even though I don't say it, she knows everything." I'm wanting to say. So we have learned she never drives to Houston. It just doesn't happen. You know, we we don't need the stress in our life. She doesn't need the stress, and I don't need the stress. If by some miracle I could be comfortable with her driving to Houston, we'd be all right. And that's the way it is in fighting a battle. We have to learn to become comfortable not being in control. And if you're one of those people that likes to be in control, it's not easy. But God wants to be in control. And He wants you to learn to take your hands off and come to a place of the spiritual and emotional rest that God's got it and He can handle it. Smile at me. When facing a battle, when facing a battle, you have to learn to let God fight your battles. Not always easy, but God can and will work on our behalf. He will fight our battles. But we've got to let go. The next thing that I want to talk about, so important. Number three, when facing a battle, we must learn to position ourselves. I want you to read the next passage, just verse 16 and 17, Second Chronicles 20. Look what he says. This is what God says. Jehaziel is just, the prophet has just spoken the word of the Lord. And now, here's the the encouragement to the people. Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions. Then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you. Oh, people of Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. And the very first thing that I'm thinking of is that, hey, if the battle is the Lord, and if God is going to fight the battle, and if they're not even going to have to fight, why not just sleep in? Hey, God's going to fight the battle. I believe I'm sleeping in. God could have said, y'all go to sleep tonight, I'll fight the battle. When y'all wake up in the morning, the enemy's going to be dead. But it didn't happen that way because there is something God is saying to you and I. When you're facing a battle, you've got to position yourself in the right spiritual position 
in order for God to fight your battles. Spiritually speaking, you've got to be in the right place if you want God to fight your battles. Maybe the Spirit of the Lord would say to you, you need to forgive. You need to forgive. You need to get rid of the anger and bitterness and resentment and hatred in your life. And when you take your position, spiritual position that God is speaking to you, then God can fight your battles. But here's the problem. So many times, we don't want to do what God tells us to do, but we do want him to fight our battles. There are practical steps sometimes that we need to take. That God is speaking to your heart. You need to do this, and this is something you need to do. Just like he told them, hey, he was going to fight their battle. He was going to fight their battle. I was already determined. But he said, I want you to get up out of your beds, put on your armor, put on your weapons, get ready for battle. I suspect they were dressed in full array, do everything that they would normally do. They marched out. They put themselves in the right position. God even told them where the enemy was coming in. He told them where they were supposed to be so they could see God at work. And so many times God speaks to you. You are facing a spiritual battle and he speaks to you certain things that he calls you to do to put yourself in the right spiritual position and we don't do it. And then we wonder why God doesn't fight our battles. You know, I prepared this message yesterday. All week I've been thinking about it. I got it ready, put it all together uh, yesterday morning and always think about it, consider it, pray about it. And then Sunday morning, I get up early. I was up early this morning just presenting it before the Lord. I said, Lord, what else do you want me to say? Anything else? And and this is what the Lord said this morning. He said the most important thing that he wants to speak to you is this point right here. He said so many people, church, want God to fight their battles, but they don't want to be in the right place spiritually. They want me to fight their battles, but they don't want to walk in obedience. And the word of the Lord to us is similar to what he said to the people. Get up. Get your battle gear on. March. Position yourself and do the things that he tells you to do to walk in obedience, to be in the right position spiritually. You know, if you have secret sin that you're hiding, that's that's something you need to do. You need to get rid of that secret sin if you want him to fight your battles. That's positioning yourself in the right position spiritually because there can't be unforgiveness or hidden sin if you want God to fight your battles. 
So I encourage you this morning. And it's not like I can speak and say, you need to do this, this, and this. You know, the Spirit of the Lord will show you the things that He wants you to do. You have to make this application in your life. The last thing that I want to say that I feel like the Spirit of the Lord would have us to understand, and that is when facing a battle, praise leads the way. It leads the way. I know we talked a lot about praise and worship last week. But I want you to see this. This is amazing. It's in 2 Chronicles. It's the next passage uh, in Chronicles. It says, Then Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground. All the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. This is right after the prophet Jehaziel spoke his word. Then the Levites from the clans of Kotha and Korah stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud shout. Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, Listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in the prophets, and you will succeed. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising Him for His holy splendor. And this is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. I wonder how many of the worship team decided they were going to sleep in once they found out they were going to lead the army. (laughs) Can you see Jehoshaphat telling the worship team, by the way, y'all going to lead the army out in battle tomorrow? Uh, well, I don't know. I, I, I don't. I don't. I got a sore throat. You know, I'm, I'm kind of having a hard time this morning. Praise leads the way. Did you see verse 22? I love this. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Amnon and Moab and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. Is that not amazing or what? If you go on to read the rest of it, two of the armies begin to fight against one another. And when that battle was over, then they started fighting the other part until they were all dead. (laughs) Is that not amazing or what? And the whole time, Jehoshaphat... And God's people were positioned and they were watching this whole thing go on. And then it says, they went in and began to get all the valuable things that were left there. And it said it took them four days to haul it all out. There was so much value, silver and gold and everything. That, But when did it happen? You see, and I know I talked about this last week, and I'm going to say it again. Praise and worship. It leads the way. You know what praise and worship does? It's an amazing thing. It brings unity to the body of Christ, and at the very same time, it brings confusion to the enemy. Isn't that amazing? Praise and worship draws us together. It all helps us to focus in on the fact that our God's a mighty God. That we all serve one God. That He is on our behalf. That He he is our God. And that He has delivered us. 
So praise and worship has a way of drawing us all together in unity. But at the same time, praise and worship puts panic and confusion and fear in the enemy. If they had not shown up to praise and worship, the enemy would not have fought among themselves. Instead, they would have come in and annihilated Jehoshaphat and all his army. Praise and worship. It leads the way. Folks, if you're facing a battle, fill your home. Ladies, create an atmosphere of praise in your home. If you're facing a battle, create an atmosphere of worship. You don't want your homes to be a battleground. It needs to be a place where the peace of God is there. Worship of God is there. So I encourage you. Maybe you have a son or a daughter who's walked away from God. That's a battle. That's a huge battle. Maybe you have a husband, a wife, a loved one, a family member that's walked away from God. And you are facing one of those battles. I encourage you, I exhort you to consider the principles that we've looked at today. Position yourself. Position yourself. Remember that the Lord is the one to fight your battles. Cry out to God and say, God, I don't know what I'm going to do, but my hope and my trust is in you. And my eyes, they're on you. And have the freedom to worship God. Because worship says, I'm not looking to man for an answer. I'm looking to God. And I believe that God has an answer. And I don't know what kind of battle you're facing this morning. When I prepared this message, I felt like the Spirit of the Lord said that there are a lot of people that are facing battles. And I encourage you, when you're facing a battle, you can glean from some of the things that Jehoshaphat did that help us to face those battles. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. I'm going to ask you to pray with me just for a second. Lord Jesus, hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Lord, I just come, come to you in the precious name of Jesus, Lord. All over this room, your people facing different kinds of battles, maybe financial, maybe their battles in their marriage or their home, maybe they're battling addictions. I don't know, Lord. I I don't know all the different things that people are fighting. I know the devil is working overtime. Lord, I ask you, in the precious name of Jesus, that, Lord, you would help us to focus our eyes on the right thing and to look to you as our help. Lord, if there are some things we need to do to position ourselves in the right place so that you can fight our battles, Lord, 
that we would hear and understand and know that and we would be willing to do those things. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. I love you, Lord. And I thank you for your great mercy. In the precious name of Jesus, help us, Lord. You hear this morning? worship team is going to sing that song that they sang earlier about Jesus Messiah I'm going to ask you if you're facing a battle this morning I'm going to ask you to make your way down to the front you would like to agree with me in prayer that God would fight your battles if you're facing a battle and you would say Lord I don't know what in the world I'm going to do but my eyes are on you I'm just going to ask you to make your way out of your seat and come to the front we want to agree in prayer for God to be able and willing to fight your battles. Would you come? Would you step out and say, yes, Lord, that's me. I'm facing a battle. I need your help. And I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe it's a battle that's been going on for a while and you've been battling a, a battle within yourself, within your own heart. Holy Spirit. We come to you today, Lord, and we just say that we need your help. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's sing it. Jesus, Messiah. Jesus, Messiah. Name above all.
pray for God to fight our battles I have to ask if you're down here at the front or maybe you're still out in your seat if you want God to fight your battles you must be born again it starts with that you have to be born again anybody if you want to be born again That's an acceptance of Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. Asking Him to come into your life and fill you and take over your life, forgive you of your sin. It is the new birth that begins everything. If there's anybody here and you need to be born again, I'm just going to ask you to slip up your hand. Anybody, I want to pray for you first. Before we ask for God to fight our battles, first of all, you need to be born again. Anybody? Anybody? front anybody hallelujah yes a couple of people would you mind just uh, making your way down to the front would you mind just come on down to the front thank you anybody else anybody else and just kind of make way you want to come on my let me pray for you anybody else you raise your hand if you would just come your lord Anybody else? Yes. Kind of make your way if you would kind of come right over this way with these young ladies over here. Amen. Anybody else? Two young ladies. Anybody want to give your heart and your life to Jesus? Let's pray. I'm going to ask you to pray out loud with me. Just pray out loud with me. Heavenly Father. In the name of Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. I claim the blood of Jesus as forgiveness of my sin. Restore me, Lord. Heal me, Lord. In the name of Jesus, thank you, Father. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Come into my life and take over, Lord. In the precious name of Jesus, I am born again. By the Spirit of God. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless your heart. Bless your heart. After we finish, I want you to kind of talk with Brother Freddie. He's going to have something that I'd like you to fill out so we can kind of follow up. Now, we want, to, we want to pray that God would fight our battles. Just raise your hand. If you're out there and you want to join in, let's just... We're just agreeing today that the word of the Lord that we've spoken today, that God would fight our battles. Now, I don't know what battle you're facing, but whatever it is, God is greater. Let's raise our hands and let's agree in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I put all my trust in you, Lord. I don't know what I'm going to do, but my eyes are on you. I put my trust and my hope and I take my hands off and I let you fight my battles Lord position me in the right place 
so I can be in the right place at the right time for you to fight my battles. Lord, let praise lead the way. Let my life be filled with praise, unashamed to declare your praise. Thank you, Lord. You are fighting my battles, not me. You're fighting them, Lord, and I trust you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise God. You thought I was worth saving. Oh, yes. You came to change my life. Thought I was worth keeping. You cleaned me up inside. Sacrificed your life so I could be free. 